Welcome to a place where conversations matter and truth matters even more. I am delighted today to have my best friend and husband, Phil Madrid, to talk about evangelism. All right, so to start off, I want to give a definition of what evangelism is and the reason why we're even talking about evangelism. Our sister-in-law actually suggested that we do this episode together because Phil and I actually met working with Campus Crusade for Christ, which is an evangelical missions organization. So that's really how we grew up in our faith. We both became believers in college, which Phil will talk about a little bit. But I first want to just lay the groundwork as to why I think this is a really important episode and why we're taking time to talk about it. First, one of my favorite things to hear in in any sermon, and it reminds me of who God is, is that God by nature is a God who saves. Now, how do we know that? How do we know that he wants to save people? He wants to save sinners. And how do we know that he wants us to be involved in the process of saving others and bringing others to Jesus? Well, evangelism comes from the word euangelion, which originally meant a reward given to a messenger for good news that the messenger brought. Now it really means good news itself. So first I want to explain what the good news is. When we talk about evangelism, when we talk about having conversations with other people and evangelizing them, when we refer to ourselves as evangelical Christians, what that means is we are giving good news to people, just like we on the daily want to receive that good news. The good news is that God saves sinners through the work of Christ. That is, in a nutshell, what the good news is. And everyone needs that good news because everyone is a sinner. So the the beauty of the Bible is that it's extremely consistent. God has been the same at the beginning, in the middle, at the end. He will always continue to be the same. So I first want to give you some scriptures that show what God's character is, why he has a heart for people being saved, being brought to himself, and why we are playing a part in that. So starting in the Old Testament, Isaiah 12, 4 says, In that day you will say, Give praise to the Lord, proclaim his name, make known among the nations what he has done, and proclaim that his name is exalted. So pretty direct and obvious that God wants his name to be made known throughout all of the nations, every people. Going into the New Testament, we have Matthew 28, the Great Commission, which says go into all the nations proclaiming the gospel. That's one that a lot of missions organizations use kind of as their their foundation for missions. Uh, 1 Peter 3.15, I'll just close by reading, close this section by reading Romans 10.14 through 15. Faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. So all throughout, and this is just picking a few different verses, a few different passages of scripture, all throughout the Old and New Testament, God endeavors to make his, his name known. He endeavors to make himself known to all peoples. Okay, so with that foundation, knowing that evangelism or giving people the good news of who Jesus is, is at the heart of the gospel. It's at the heart of who God is. I want to switch to a more practical aspect and ask Phil about his experience in evangelism. And and we'll kind of go back and forth about what our experience was like in college, what our experience like 
is like now and some of maybe the common arguments or feedback that we get from people when we um, when we share about Jesus. So first, how did you become a Christian? Big question. Yeah, uh, well, I became a Christian by the grace of God because it wasn't about me. It wasn't my own doing. I grew up in a uh, in Florida, kind of Bible Belt-ish Christian family, going to church. And I don't remember a time in my life when I didn't believe in God. Um, I probably could have told you the essential content of the gospel since I was a, in elementary school, but it didn't really become real to me until I was in college. I saw someone I was really close to who had grown up similarly become a Christian, and I started to wonder why has my life never changed, and really what changed was that I started reading the Bible on my own regularly for the, for the first time not as a chore, but as something that I wanted to do. And it was God's word and being in a, a slightly different environment, different church, different pastor. Not that my previous pastor was wrong or preaching incorrectly or something, but just the, the different environment and all those things were part of what God used to draw me to himself. So I don't remember a specific time where a switch clicked but it was my freshman year of college I went in heading one way spiritually and I can't and I finished that year on a radically different track so uh, that was when I became a Christian I think and going into evangelism was that natural transition or did crew have a lot to do with that I would say that it wasn't a natural transition. The strain of Christianity or maybe the environment that I grew up in, or maybe it was just my perception of it, uh, I struggled a lot with guilt and shame and the way that people talk about evangelism sometimes. It's like something that you have to do. It's It can be really difficult if you don't as you become a Christian, immediately go into doing it. Like for me, having grown up in this Christ-influenced, some, some people have used the term Christ-haunted upbringing, and then it just becomes another thing that's weighing over you. Well, it's like, well, I'm not, I know a lot about Christianity, but I'm kind of shy. I don't really feel like I'm in a place where I can tell other people, and it can be, can be really difficult. So it's interesting. I, I knew people who became a Christian in college who didn't come from a church background. And when they did, when they did become a Christian, it was very natural for them to go and start telling people mm. in their, in their previous friend groups and their family. And it just wasn't quite that way for me. I also knew people who grew up very similar to me who had a similar experience uh, of the people that didn't grow up like me where they became a Christian and even though they had some of that spiritual background it didn't hinder them in any way from what from from sharing the gospel from 
uh, talking about what had happened in their lives. So I ended up probably the first few years after I after my freshman year, so maybe sophomore and junior year of college, being a little more insular in how I was living out my faith. I was really involved in the Bible study we had, which was mostly just other Christians. Every so often there'd be somebody who wasn't a Christian who or who was a little bit different who came into our group, but it was a pretty tight-knit group. And there it wasn't really outwardly focused. And there were some good things to that. It was an environment where I grew a lot in other areas of how I would live out my faith, but not so much in the evangelism. Okay, so then how did how did that happen? How did you start evangelizing? Because when yeah. we met, you were doing it regularly. Yeah, so probably towards the end of my junior or beginning of my senior year, one of the crew staff members took a little bit more interest in me and, and came alongside me. And that was one of the things that he was passionate about and was also part of his job that he got paid for was to to share the gospel with people. And so Crew is not just an organization that's focused on discipling people who are already believers, but it really is on the forefront of going out and finding people who have never heard the gospel or who have heard it and uh, and never believed. Yeah, and so I went out with him on campus just talking to random people, and that was the first time that I had ever done something like that. And it was pretty, I would say it's pretty intimidating, but it was a, I don't, I don't remember that experience vividly or anything, it, but it was a pretty constant refrain through doing that even, even after I graduated and was on staff with crew for a while that when you go out the first time it, it, of each day, you're a little bit more nervous. You don't know what to expect. What is what's in store, are you going to be ridiculed? Are people going to be hostile towards you? Is, is anyone even going to want to give you a, even a moment of their time to hear what you have to say? Mm-hmm. I became a Christian in college too, as you know. Mm-hmm. But later, I was probably closer to 21. And I think, oh, you know what? The first time that I actually went out and started sharing the gospel like on campus with people was when I went to the Middle East for spring break and project, uh, spring project, spring break project, whatever it's called. And that was with people that I didn't go to school with. You know, I was sharing with college students in the Middle East and I thought, if I'm doing this here, why am I not doing it at home? So that was kind of a moment of realizing okay, this should be part of my life and not just, you know, a week of my time or a week of my life. However, when I became a Christian, I remember wanting to tell everyone about it. Like, this is a, I found something really amazing. I want people to know, but I really didn't know how to go about it, especially because I professed to be a believer when I was younger and I looked back and I was really embarrassed by everything that I had yeah, done. Been there, done that. <laughs> and everything I had said and how I had judged people and minimized their arguments and, and not really thought critically about 
about Jesus. It was more of a tribal mentality of, I'm a Christian, therefore I'm right, therefore I have the answers. Mm -hmm. But I really didn't, I didn't even really believe the gospel because I didn't really understand it, obviously, before I became a believer. And I remember what crew calls or sometimes refers to as initiative evangelism, which is just going onto college campus and finding people kind of like cold calling people, but in person and saying, Hey, do you have some time to talk about faith or religion, whatever that was, it's a really thrilling experience, but also a really, uh, like you said, a really intimidating experience. Yeah. So what were some of the, what were some of your experiences like going on campus that you can remember both because Phil lived in Florida. So both mm-hmm. in Florida and then he lived in Paris and did this in Paris. What were your experiences? And in San Diego. And in San Diego. Yeah. I'd say the experiences at Florida are kind of few and far between because I only did a handful of times. And I, re- I remember f- feeling interesting. I was just thinking about it. It felt a little bit fake or weird mm. because I don't know these people or anything about them. I'm probably never going to see them again. But as I was thinking about it just now, if I saw one of these, if I saw somebody randomly like trip on a sidewalk that got heaved by a root or something, they didn't, they didn't see it and they fell down and you know, drop their laptop and were bleeding in the knee, you know, I would probably walk over and mm-hmm. see what I could do to, to help them. So it's, it's not like there's no desire for me to help them, but it's just a little bit weirder, or it seemed weird to me to think about it in the spiritual sense, but they have a far greater spiritual need if they don't know Christ than a physical, the, need. Than a physical need if they fell and skinned their knee. Um, so yeah, in Florida, probably people were not super receptive. The outside is not very comfortable. It's very humid and hot. A lot of the time people just don't want to sit there and, and talk. And I was also probably a little bit more awkward doing it as well. Um, when I was in Paris. Like mechanical awkward or... Yeah, just awkward and all. No, I wouldn't say I was an awkward person. It was just awkward, a little more awkward and all in general. Yeah, it's okay. In Paris, it was interesting because I was trying to do it as much as possible in another language, a language that's not mm-hmm. spoken in my mind. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it, things are going on in English in my head and then trying to be, I'm trying to translate and and do it. So... There was a, a man who was on staff that, that was um, kind of a leader on our team who had been there for longer, you know, a little, little few years older than me, married, um, had one one child, and so was in a little bit of a different stage of life. And so I just kind of modeled what he did. Mm-hmm. And over time, I started to develop a little bit of my own style in it, but it was... It was very much like approaching someone, trying to build a little bit of rapport, connection, and then trying to transition to talk about spiritual things. But if they didn't, then still trying to build a relationship anyway um, to see if it might blossom into some level of friendship that could 
present further opportunities. It it does feel a little bit weird when you're doing that kind of approaching people because you have, a, I mean, it's an ulterior motive. It's a good motive of that you want to share the message of Christ with them, but it, you're not just, a lot of the people I wouldn't naturally, I don't know if I would jag with them or not yeah. because I don't know anything about them. You would not necessarily them. pick them as a friend. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it becomes the people who would talk who would actually talk to you and give you their time that you end up with sharing with maybe not the people that you would naturally gravitate towards as far as their personality characteristics uh, we would use various tools perspective card was it perspective cards perspective. yeah perspective yeah. cards so it's like a series of cards that have worldview questions and they you lay them out and you can choose which card most represents the way that you view who God is, what the Bible is, whether it's a you know a holy book or some random stories, who you view Jesus to be, things like that. Um, so that I, I found that to be a good tool to have good conversations, but not a, not necessarily as good of a tool. In France? Yeah, in France. Because people wanted to have more philosophical conversations, but... Culturally, it's actually not that different from the United States in that people don't often want to have a deep spiritual conversation because if you're really confronted with the gospel, part of that is the message that you are a sinner. Mm -hmm. And so some of the ways in which people sin are very intimate and it's it's not things that they want to tell a random person about. Well, yeah, I'm a sinner because I cheat on my spouse mm-hmm. and or because I steal from the cash register where I work at the grocery store just a little bit every day. But, you know, it's like they're not going to tell a random person that they might talk about some soft they, sins. Yeah. Oh, like, oh, yeah, you know, I I tried to be nice to my sibling, but I was, you know, I was just kind of mean. I was yeah. a jerk. But it was really just because I hadn't had my coffee yet. You know, like that kind of thing. Yeah. Hedge it a little bit. Yeah. So, and then by the time I finished my time with crew in Paris and moved to San Diego, it was one of the things that was different too was that there was a little bit more of an age gap between me and freshman students. At that point, I was 24 or 25 and they were 18. Yeah. So you start to care a little bit less about what people think about you when they're 18 and, and you're in your mid twenties. Uh, you still want people to like you. Uh, a lot of people are going to deal with that and I'm no, I'm no different. Um, but it was a little bit easier to be more direct there. I was part-time on campus. So I was probably doing like 30 hours a week in total with with crew and a lot of that time was on campus some of it was individual discipleship and uh, leading bible studies but um, yeah it was it was a little bit more fun at that point to go out and try to find random students it was tough too because it was uc san diego where academics are very very important to a lot of the students and a lot of people sitting in public areas are actually there to study study in groups, right. study individually, and so they didn't want to give you time. An hour of their time. Yeah. yeah. They didn't even want to give From you a, a few minutes of their time. Yeah. But that was where I 
started just, I, I don't know, I'm, you might call it bulldozing in the conversations rather than letting them lead. Yeah, there, there's, you could go from the extreme of letting the person you're talking to lead the conversation and ask you questions and that, that can put you on the defensive sometimes, which is fine. I can, um, I feel like I can defend the faith reasonably and I'm not like amazing at it, but I can answer a lot of the common questions and objections that people have. They may not be the best answers that pro probably won't always satisfy people, but I can, I can, you know, hold my own. And then there's a kind of a sweet spot where it's very much a give and take in a conversation. And then there's where you just totally dominate the conversation. And I, I did that. So I don't think that's, there's not necessarily anything intrinsically wrong with that. It's just a different approach. And when you have the message of the gospel, you are coming from a place of authority. Jesus said in the Great Commission, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. So you therefore go and we take that authority with us. We're speaking true words and it's a real call to repentance and, and to, to change your life, to become a disciple of Christ. Mm -hmm. And so we don't have to be wishy-washy or allow non-believers to completely dominate a conversation when we're talking about spiritual things because we're speaking from a place of authority, not from our own authority, but from authority that's been given to us by God. Yeah. When I was in Santa Barbara, I think, I don't know if you got this a lot, but that was when I first started going on campus and sharing the gospel. And a common objection would be, well, I believe in science. I was like, <laughs> caught that so often. Well, I believe in science. I, didn't, I don't believe in faith. Was it, is that something you would get at all at UC San Diego? Because we were at, I was at UC Santa Barbara. UCs, they behave a little yeah, bit differently. Pro probably. Uh, I don't. They puff themselves up a little latch bit. Didn't on, latch onto that in particular. Uh-huh. But, yeah. Yeah. Um, when I was in the Middle East, the common argument was, well, I was born Muslim, so I'm always going to be Muslim. Mm -hmm. And it was a completely different argument than anyone in the States would give you. You know, any native, yeah. um, you know, native American, born in America person would never say, well, I was born Christian, so I'm always going to be Christian, or I was born atheist, so I'm always going to be atheist. So it was really interesting just transitioning between cultures and seeing that I, what we believe, Satan has grounded them in a certain lie to tell them that there's no way around that. Like in, in the case of science, oh, okay, well, science and faith are incompatible, therefore... I can never be a person of faith. Or uh, the Bible is not compatible with current morality, contemporary morality. Therefore, I can't fully trust the Bible. Or like in the Middle East, I was born Muslim, so there's I'm, I, there's not even a chance for me to become Christian. Like that's not an option. Yeah. Um, and it was interesting to learn how to fight those battles, which we believe are spiritual battles. Ephesians 6 says that. These are spiritual battles, not just battles of the mind, right? Not just, sorry, not just um, like logic battles, right? So as much as I wanted to present people with evidence, it was a battle that was being waged 
in their soul, in their heart, and in their in their mind. It wasn't just a okay. Well, you just don't have enough evidence. Um, you don't. You haven't read enough of you know apologetics or so, something of that nature. Because what people tend to think of when you tell them, oh, we should be going out and evangelizing, or what a common I guess argument is, well, I don't know enough. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I'm not I, I haven't read the whole Bible, you know, so often you hear young Christians or people who grew up in the church, but don't have a rich understanding of God's word. All of a sudden it's like, well, I need to figure out all these things first. I need to have all these tools in my tool belt before I can evangelize. Yeah. But that's not the case. Right. And God's word tells us that that's not the case. People in scripture, as soon as they became believers, Okay, oh, I get it. Let me be baptized. Let me tell my whole family. They'll be baptized. Let's get the show on the road. Let's start telling people about it. So it's easy to think of, oh, evangelism is for the people who are completely equipped, know all the common arguments, but you have the spirit of, if you're a believer, you have the spirit of God who's going before you. So he's the one that's waging the war and you're just the messenger. Mm-hmm. So what were, what is it like now? Evangelism now, how has like the training, your training in the past or experience in the past affected how you are now? And what is your, do you have methods now of the things that you do um, to reach people for Christ? Yeah, I'm obviously in a very different life situation now than I was when I was making my living working for crew, supported by individuals and churches. It's a... It's less structured and specific. It's more natural throughout the course of the day. And it's it's a lot slower. So you think about how, for those people who go to college, it's four years and you come in at 18 and you leave at 22 or 23 and you have matured a lot. That's a significant percentage of your life lived through that point, but when you're working in a a professional field like I am, there are people who have been doing what I've been doing at our company for 35 or 40 years. And you realize that there isn't, the the pace of life and and the the, the rate of change has Mm -hmm. slowed. Mm -hmm. And not to say that there's not urgency, people need to hear because without hearing they can't believe and obey and trust Christ, uh, but the the pace and the, the changes that people are dealing with in their lives, they're, they're not going through this chaotic time like people are during college where they're much more receptive to, well, I, I don't even know if that's the right way to say it. Because of, because of the change, it's maybe easier for them to accept something like new. the gospel, new, that, that they've never heard before because they're being confronted with a lot of knowledge mm. in their in their classrooms and their textbooks, doing research for papers, giving speeches, attending lectures on campus, mm-hmm. meeting people from places other than the community where they grew up. Mm-hmm. So hearing the gospel from somebody is no different. What One of the things I found is you'll, it, it's, probably next impossible that somebody would be in the this 
the spiritual mindset of having these these short natural conversations about about the gospel or about spiritual things during the day if they're not regularly going to church and studying the Bible on their own or in a small group or something like that because those daily touch points bring certain those are some of the ways that the spirit brings spiritual things to your mind that you're chewing on throughout the day so that when situations come up when a coworker and you are chatting about some problem in their life you know could be that a day or two ago or at last Sunday sermon you heard a scripture verse or a particular part of the teaching that is directly related to that and it's it's very natural to share in that environment you know people will talk about oh yeah I read an article that blank so why is why why do we make it so much weirder to say oh yeah I read a verse in the Bible Oh, two days yeah. ago that that says this uh, have you ever heard anything like that you know it's like yeah it's the same exact thing I, I was thinking about it in the context of work too in, in a, another way because people talk about all kinds of things at work when we're on our break you know it's, there's a human need people are actually a little bit more efficient during the day when there's a little bit of socialization that happens which is why the whole pandemic and separating people to work at home in their own little um, in their own little space and not having that person-to-person interaction I feel like I've been less productive than I'd like to be but if somebody can talk about the little weekend trip that they did or the movie that they saw or the novel that they're reading why can't I talk about the part of the sermon I heard on Sunday just because it's spiritual well there's like spiritual realities and spiritual truths or lies that are underlaying a lot of the things that other people are, are doing there's spiritual components to mm-hmm. to their vacations or you know yeah we act like secularism is neutral yeah and it's, it's definitely not. not I think that transitioning into the workplace was really difficult for me because I was so used to having when you're working with a missions organization or you're hired at a church you have a very clear role Mm -hmm. you have accountability you have people that you go sharing the gospel on campus with you you go with somebody team behind or with you Uh, sometimes you're even like taking numbers I know it can sound weird but like how many people did you share the gospel with today was there anyone that was receptive? So the conversation is constant. But that conversation doesn't always seem to extend even into Christians in the workplace. So how often, I mean, have you even found another Christian in the workplace where that was the conversations you naturally had? It was yeah. about like, oh, has this person heard about Jesus. Okay, so have you had any spiritual conversations with them? I remember going to grad school and having two other believing friends and that was a very foreign concept to them, like going and sharing our faith with people. You can people. gang up on people. Yeah, you can gang up on your coworkers <laughs> if you find out you have some other believers in the mix. I know. Um, yeah, so it just wasn't it wasn't like a missional mindset. There wasn't a missional mindset. 
And I know that that can sound sometimes like a task that you're putting in front of people. Mm -hmm. Like, okay, make sure you're connecting with other believers and you know who's sharing the gospel with who. And I'm not saying it from that perspective. I'm saying it from the perspective kind of like what you touched on that we spend so much time, we should be spending so much time with the Lord and knowing who he is that that is a natural outflow of our time with God, our relationship with God. It is really hard to be excited about Jesus if we never spend time with Jesus, if we don't know anything about him. One of the most transformational books that we're currently reading because of our missions team that has really moved me and changed me because of how it teaches what the scriptures say and what they mean is Knowing God by J.I. Packer. And looking at the character of God has has absolutely changed how I've done ministry, how I've done evangelism. Because for some of the first times of sharing, uh, I should say it like this, I've had some moments in which I realized I was sharing my faith and didn't even mean to. Like it just happened. Mm-hmm. And I thought... I'm saying this right. I'm saying this right now. I'm sharing about God and how good God is with no like specific goal in mind or task in mind. It just kind of came out of me and it was one of the most cherished moments of my life looking back and just realizing that it was flowing out of me. And I realized that I had been so much more task oriented beforehand like when I was in college. And there are times when we are just obedient and we don't feel it, right? And and we are called to be obedient to preach the gospel, even when we're not, you know, at 100%, if we're not feeling great, if, if we're feeling down on ourselves. And God does bless us in that. He moves in those moments. He grows us in those moments. He might even bring someone to faith when you think that you just botched a message (laughs) completely because he's faithful even when we're not. So I remember again going into, into the, uh, like into work and getting out of full-time ministry and it just being a really rough transition. And I've now been teaching full-time at a community college for, I think this is the fifth year. Mm -hmm. And it's so much different. At the beginning, I was a little more self-conscious in thinking, well, what is, you know, I wanted to be seen as smart. I've always had this kind of Achilles heel, this vice that I've always just, I wanted, I wanted Phil to see me as smart. I wanted my students to see me as smart. I, I just wanted people to think I was smart because I think I never really felt like I was smart. Um, And so I wanted to sound erudite, you know, when I talk to people, I wanted to have like really good reasoning with my students, with my coworkers. I'm surrounded by really intelligent people. I live with a really intelligent person. So it was really difficult for me to feel like I didn't, I didn't, I didn't have a fully compelling argument or I didn't have the right words or I didn't. So anyway, long story short on that. God used that to really strip away a lot of my desire to please people and to have people like me. And in that freedom of not caring really what people think about what I say, it's like so much more automatic when a student talks to me and I 
just say, hey, can I pray for you? Or have, have you read your Bible lately? Do you have a Bible? Can I send you a Bible? Um, can I talk to you about this? Did, what do you think about what do you think about Jesus? Have you whatever you know the case may be? And I think I, I don't do that during lecture time, right? But yeah. God gives opportunities. Colossians 4 2 through 6 says that um, the prayer is that we would have opportunities open doors to share the gospel. I've, ne- I've, I've never not gotten an answer, an affirmative answer to when I've asked, when I've prayed that, when I've said, God, please give me open doors. There's always open doors that come to us when we ask for them. They might not look like the same open doors that you're looking for, but they come. And a tremendous amount of people actually have, have taken, taken that, that offer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Will you, will you send that to me? Yeah, that'd be great. A lot of, and some other people, no, I'm not interested at all. And, you know, that we're so, sometimes we're so fearful and I have been so fearful of rejection that that is what holds us back from actually sharing the good news with people. But it's not up to us to convince them or to change their heart and mind. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. So how would you um, practically maybe mentor someone today? to share their faith? I think the most important thing is to have a good scriptural foundation to understand what is the gospel, what is the human condition, what has God done for us in Christ, because you can't share what you don't have a grasp of. And so... Do they need to know more than just the gospel to share, though? No. I would say not necessarily... No. Uh, It can help. Sometimes it can hurt, but for for me, one of the verses that I've latched on to is uh, it's Romans three. I think it's twenty two and twenty three. It's where it's. I think it's a good summary of the gospel: the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe, without distinction, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And then in the twenty four and our justified by his grace through the redemption is in Christ Jesus. I might have botched that a little bit, but it's a very good summary of of the gospel. And so I, I, that's one of the other things that I would counsel someone to do or that I would mentor someone in doing is having a, a good amount of scripture memorized. It's not a prerequisite. You could have scripture written down on cards mm. if you're not good at memorizing it. But anybody can memorize scripture even if you think you're not good, even if you think you're not good at memorizing scripture, you can. It, it just may take work and you may have to do an approach that is special for you that other people that doesn't work for other people. So that would be part of it. I would pro- probably the most effective evangelism now in these United States at this time is building relationships with people and inviting them into your home and getting invited into their home. So I would try to, would maybe brainstorm together about ways to do that, who they might want to invite in. And I would also take them out with me and model some of going up to random people and sharing to see how there are ways that someone can steer a conversation from X to Y into Z and Z is a spiritual conversation where you get the opportunity to share the gospel. 
not all conversations are necessarily going to follow the same path to get there. Some you may never get there because the person doesn't want to talk about it. Uh, but seeing it modeled and understanding some of the, the scriptural basis behind why we're supposed to share is also really important and helping someone understand that it, like you said before, we have zero control over how someone is going to respond, but it is our responsibility. It's our calling as Christians to, to tell people the good news. So it's not me who has to come up with well-crafted arguments, the perfect, you know, three or four gospel points that I can share. And if I just do that in exactly the right order, and I maybe adjust it a little bit depending on their personality and how they're reacting to me then when I get to the end and bring them to a point of decision, they'll say, oh yeah, I wanna pray that prayer and follow Christ. It just, it doesn't work that way. Um, one of the things that I grew in very s slowly was it was a little easier for me once I'd done it in a while to have spiritual conversations and to even share the message of the gospel, but to not necessarily take it all the way to challenging them to make a decision on it now, because what, do you know that you're gonna have tomorrow or next week or next year? So what did you grow in then? Gr growing in not just ending it at, this, this is, is possible, possible, but this is a call, this is something that you have to make a decision on. Do you believe this? Do you wanna believe this? Do you want to pray about it? Do you want to meet with me again? You know, what, bringing it to some kind of action or decision at the end, instead of just like stopping at sharing that you're a sinner, you're separated from God, you need Christ, this is what he did. If you, if you pray and trust in him, then you can have a restored relationship with God. And do you want that? Do you want to... Do you believe that? Yeah, do you believe that? Instead of a common ending, because people always want to end on like a tied up note, common ending is the person you're talking to saying back to you, I'm glad that works for you. Like, that's not the point. No, it's definitely not the point. <laughs> the point is you are responsible. You are accountable. The call is for you and you have to answer it. I answered it, what is your answer? So embrace the awkward sometimes. It's going to feel weird because if someone says, no, I don't believe that, the natural tendency is to say, oh, okay, thank you, that sounds good, that's okay. You know, to like kind of diffuse any of that tension instead of saying, I'm sorry that you don't and I pray that you will one day. Yeah. Sometimes you have to press into it being really uncomfortable and awkward, but being honest that if you're sharing the gospel with them, we should be really bummed. A lot of evangelism is can feel very disheartening because you don't see fruit right away. Most yeah. often you don't see people, well, in our experience at least, there's some people that have the gift of evangelism and they do see a lot of, you know, a lot of response immediately. But in most people's experience they don't get a response of yes right away and so it can feel really disheartening but you might be the planter of the seeds you might be the one that's like 
that's uh, getting the soil all loose, their soil to receive the gospel. You don't, you don't know what part you're playing, what God has you or where God has you in that. But again, it, it, it can feel disheartening if you don't know who God is. But when you do know who God is, you have that foundation, you have that pillow to rest your, he- rest your head on. Yeah. So anything else that you want to close with? He's a thinker. I am a thinker. <laughs> yeah, I guess I'll, I'll leave one other thought. And this is something that when we, would, when we would meet together as a staff team before we would go out and try to find random people to share the gospel with, if you're a Christian and you're striving to follow Christ, any time that you share the gospel, whether in whole or in part, it is a some level of a win because you're stepping out in faith and obeying and trusting God's promises that his word isn't going to return void. So mm-hmm. if you're not trying to soft pedal or make the the message something that it's it's really not you know emphasizing certain things overly or minimizing certain aspects of it if you're faithful in trying and sharing the gospel while relying not just on whatever experience you might have had or preparations you've done but really relying on god and his spirit in you whatever the response of the person that you're talking about that that almost i mean it matters because it matters when people trust Christ and turn from their sin, but you may be just one part in their story of coming to faith, but it's a it's a reason to rejoice and celebrate and be glad if you share the gospel with them and they accept Christ, great, it's a win. You have another brother or sister in Christ. If they if they say no I'm not interested and then you know five years later on down the the line they don't even remember who you are but they do trust Christ you are still part of that and and you obeyed in that moment and were faithful to God and if they never ever trust Christ you still obeyed and you did what God wanted you to do in that moment so it's it's a celebration or, or it's some Part of it is reason to celebrate, even though that's a really terrible situation mm-hmm. that someone never trusted Christ. So mm-hmm. it's a, the, the only thing that can possibly happen if you step out in faith and share the gospel is that you win, mm-hmm. that, yeah. the, that the kingdom wins the kingdom, in some yeah. way, you know? Yeah, yeah. God will triumph. Mm-hmm. Amen. Thank you. Mm-hmm. This time, this is Blind Spot. Thank you all for joining us. Have a wonderful day. Bye.